0: Welcome to Voices in Physics, a podcast that explores the culture in physics through interviews with people in the field. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking about the culture in physics and and your experiences in particular. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and sort of the the mental energy of reviewing your experiences. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) And uh, can you introduce
1: yourself? Uh, Hi, I'm a grad student, sixth year graduating at a large R1 university, um, and I also went to a research university in my
0: undergrad. Great, thanks. Uh, I like to start off these interviews by asking people what got them into physics to begin with. Do you have a memory of what got you into this field or and when that was? So I don't have a specific time
1: frame or time when I suddenly was hit with the idea, but just as a child, I was always interested in... Um, math and science, and I uh, was really watching documentaries like Discovery or um, documentaries about astronomy or things like that, and um, I was a very idealistic kid, like, oh, I'm going to go be a researcher and understand the universe, <laughs> you know? Um, so kind of just as a kid, was interested
0: in it. And then how did that evolve as you went through school and things like that? You learned more science and math.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I, I did. I did well with math and in my science courses, and so... I always prioritized them. I never really, so I didn't really understand what it, it, what exactly research entailed, but I just kind of
0: still went ahead and with that in mind, applied for college to be a physics undergrad. And when you were getting, when you were beginning to think like, oh, I'm pretty sure I want to do physics. Did you have any role models for what that would look like?
1: Yeah, no, not really, not at all. Um, My dad was um, into science and he would tell me cool things like about experiments and things like that but i didn't know any scientists or engineers even or anything like that and what about in pop culture oh yeah definitely so my you know no one tells you that scientists are men but (laughs) you just know (laughs) from movies
0: from even the documentaries that i got me into science they just always were guys so so another way of saying that is everyone is telling you that scientists are men. <laughs> <laughs> the world, yes. Is. <laughs> um, nerdy people in white lab coats. <laughs> and did, seeing that they were all men who were representing science scientists, did that have an effect on you, even as a child? I don't think it discouraged me, but, you know, sometimes, you know,
1: maybe there's a bit of like, oh, I can't be a scientist. I'm not good enough. <laughs> Take imposter syndrome, because you don't look like the typical person who does it. No one expects you to do well in science or is they're surprised when you <laughs> have a good grade or something you know or when you're interested so i think maybe that contributed down the line but like as a kid i don't didn't care too too
0: much do you have an do you have a sense for when that became when that those thoughts became maybe more apparent um definitely probably
1: post undergrad when trying to like do research <laughs> that's when there's a lot of pressure and um every time you struggle maybe instead of like well maybe i should just ask for help because that's what you should do <laughs> when you're researching and learn from people it's like oh, i'm not good enough mm-hmm. or i just i i shouldn't i shouldn't i shouldn't try you know mm. it kind of just um maybe points you in a different direction than it should I don't know if that makes a lot of sense.
0: <laughs> no, it does, right? So you attribute the fact that you're struggling to innate like oh, it's because I'm wrong for this field.
1: Right. Or maybe
0: it was a mistake, or, you know. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, "Oh, I'm struggling, but that's oh, normal. Right? It's normal and I should just go approach basically anyone um to talk about this with." Right. Yeah, I think that's important. I have experienced similar things. <laughs> And it's also gotten to a point, it happened a lot, like, doing homework, for example. I think I felt this need to prove myself, that I would only ask for help if I was like, okay, well, the deadline's coming, and I need to get this problem solved. Right. Kind of like a last resort and not a, a way of operating.
1: Yeah, yeah, now that you mention it, actually, people, did tell me, like, why didn't you ask for help? <laughs> when, like, you know, I get to the point where I, it's like, something's really hard. It's like, why didn't you just ask for help? We all did.
0: <laughs> um yeah, I think that definitely contributes. Yeah, and what do you usually say when they say, "Why didn't you just ask for help"? What do you usually respond with? I guess
1: like I don't know, I was embarrassed.
0: Yeah, <laughs> or
1: yeah, you know, or you know, I thought that I should have been able to do it.
0: So. And these people who say, "Why didn't you just ask for help?" Who are these people who say these things? Um, they were just you know classmates in the course or stuff. Okay, okay, I'm just kind of curious about where that was coming from. <laughs> And when you said that you were maybe embarrassed or something, I don't know how forthright you were actually when you responded to that question. Um, what, at least with them, uh, do you have a sense for how they responded to that kind of thing? I think um, they just thought it was in just, I was being weird or quirky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was being
1: silly or something.
0: Yeah, okay. So I also like to ask people if they had any awareness of the gender gap at the end of high school when you know you want to be a physics major at that point were you aware of the gender gap and did you know what, what did it mean to you mm, so I didn't know
1: too much about you know leaky pipelines or things like that I was in um in my undergrad for the first two years and I was taking intro you know the calculus course the intro physics I was literally the only girl in like 30 group of like 30 yeah, I didn't talk much to anyone. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely know that they're not, there's a, there's a difference. Um, and it wasn't until grad school that I really started to pay attention to these statistics and like, what does that mean going forward? And, you know. And has it affected your plans moving forward? My plans have been, uh, affected. I originally did want to be just a research scientist and I'm planning to go into industry now after I graduate. Um, and I would, say the biggest factor is um well I had a child and that's definitely I think the biggest factor for leaving the academic course
0: okay we'll talk about that later (laughs) somewhat related gender when you said that you had these calc physics courses and you didn't talk much to anyone is that because they were all boys men uh they were all engine in the engineering program and knew
1: each other and um I mean they were friendly I don't think they would have not talk to me much i just was really shy myself and uh i eventually did uh, work working groups with some but that took like the whole year <laughs> to build up to that
0: yeah um and then what about your in your physics cohort as an undergrad how many women were there
1: yeah so when i became a physics major in the
0: physics major group there was really just like one other girl that
1: yeah i was friends with in this bigger group and um out of maybe like ten to somewhere between ten and twenty majors that would sort of be in the physics grad building in mm-hmm. the room. So yeah, there weren't many of us. <laughs> yeah.
0: So we we've kinda of touched on some things already, but the bulk of the interview is mostly about incidents in in your time being a physicist. Mm-hmm not going to be from childhood till now and which you felt discouraged for reasons that had nothing to do with your ability or the quality of your work and a lot of these things might be gendered but they may not be and i'd ask you to talk about them sort of equally it it doesn't have to be a gendered experience Mm -hmm. well the earliest one is
1: when i was talking with my mom when as a kid i said i like math and physics oh those are for boys science is for boys (laughs) that's all well I didn't say this but I was like that's bullshit <laughs> I didn't I didn't really
0: care that she said that did you ever confront your mom about that
1: I just told her no it's not even uh, as a
0: kid yeah <laughs> why did you say that no it's not
1: because I liked thinking about science and um you know and
0: doing math like there's like nothing gendered about that <laughs> like, so, the thoughts are the thoughts there you know like, is it fair to say that you sort of saw yourself as a uh, counterexample to her claim? <laughs> I, th- I think it's not so much, like, how I saw myself versus, like,
1: I felt like I was doing it.
0: Yeah, right. Nice. It felt natural um, to me, so, no, there's no reason. And even as a kid, did you talk to anyone about that conversation with your mom? No. <laughs> not really, no. Yeah.
1: Like, it, it, I don't think it discouraged me, but it was surprising that someone would say that.
0: yeah right yeah and do you have other incidents maybe in undergrad or high school I call it or grad
1: um nothing is like obviously <laughs> <be> potentially <laughs> discouraging like that but you know I've I've experienced like these like sort of microaggressions in group settings like you know you'll say something in a group and it's like no one heard you but then a guy will literally repeat it verbatim and oh that's a great idea mm-hmm. <laughs> things like that or in group meetings if someone asks me a question about my project a guy has like sometimes responded on my behalf. I'm like, okay, cool. I was half right about what I did, but thanks. <laughs> um, so little stuff like that does happen. I mean, I know that other people like have way worse stories than
0: that. Yeah, but I mean, th- this whole thing is about your experience, nice. and I want to talk a little bit more about what. What? How does it feel when you say something in a group, and your contribution is not recognized until? A man says it and then it's his contribution. Or what happens in a group meeting when your project comes up and then some guy responds instead of you? What does that affect on you? It makes me angry in the moment and I kind of get
1: quiet, I'm just kind of like seethed on the inside, you know? <laughs> I don't really say anything, but probably when I like, I can't like instantly let it go or anything. So mm-hmm. I kind of stay a little bit angry and I feel like. The next time I speak up, I sound maybe a little bit short. <laughs> uh-huh. I feel like people don't really notice though. Um, Pe- people don't notice what? I feel like people maybe don't really notice that that's happened. That, you know, someone spoke over me when I was asked a question about my work specifically or stuff like that. But.
0: Have you ever found a way of pointing out that they've done this? Not saying that you should, mm-hmm. but just curious. I think maybe sometimes I'll try to speak up more,
1: like to counteract and like try to be the person answering the question <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know, sort of have to consciously do it what really annoys me is when like there's another woman in my group and she's senior to this dude <laughs> and mm-hmm. he talks over her or interrupts her it's like it's,
0: just, it's not cool man <laughs> yeah can you think of ways that, that could be addressed mm-hmm. good question um not really
1: without like pointing it out (laughs) Mm -hmm. making it really awkward or
0: (laughs) yeah so what's stopping you from pointing it out well it's like if no one else acts like they
1: noticed anything weird then if you kind of point it out it seems like you're being disruptive or you're making a big deal out of something that you know is no big deal you know if it's if that's just the way things are that you know women get talked over or there's some power dynamic if that's what's normal, then you pointing some pointing it out is out of the normal. Out of mm-hmm. you know, then you're out of line.
0: You just don't want to draw that attention to yourself. Yeah, but maybe I should. Screw it. <laughs> and I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, but I think it's really important to point out that if no one else is giving you, I've I've been in a situation where someone did the stereotypical thing. In this case, this happened actually very recently. I was talking about this recording project with a friend who's a man, and we were at a table with other men. And I didn't know the other other men; I just met them. And one of them overheard the conversation and said, sort of, sort of leaned over the table and was like, "But don't you think all this, don't you think it's really unfair that women are given an advantage in hiring? You know, talking about how people are trying to get more women faculty, for example, or Mm -hmm. you know, diversify their faculty." Uh, and I was like, oh, my God. And I looked at my friend and I made eye contact with him and I was like, and here we go. <laughs> and it's re- it's a big relief to have someone there who's on the same page. Yeah. And there's some ways in which you can open yourself up to that person in a meeting to make, to sort of, like, make eye contact or something. And like, at least have this agreement of, like, this thing is happening right now in real time. But you kind of have to have that other person recognize or be aware of what's happening but yeah i agree that if you are the person pointing it out in real time it makes you look kind of like an asshole yeah (laughs) Yeah, we're all trying to talk about science here what are you doing (laughs) um but then again that's also me not saying that you shouldn't do it
1: now that we since we're
0: talking about it, i think Mm -hmm. when i um i
1: feel like this happens a lot when guys are coming for like postdoc interviews or job interviews like that's when I see this happen the most of them like talking over you know women faculty about their own research <laughs> I mean it shocks sometimes it just really shocks me that it's, it's so rude <laughs> and yeah I kind of like look around the room and mm, you don't really see a reaction but mm-hmm. yeah, definitely when they're you know giving a talk as like a, a prospective,
0: post-doc. postdoc or yeah you know
1: they don't care <laughs> they'll do it
0: happens a lot more i don't know interesting but they're also in a position of trying to demonstrate their their knowledge yeah so maybe they're also in this like kind of hyper (laughs) mindset right that's interesting that i have to agree it's very frustrating to hear the experiences of faculty Mm -hmm. or to witness the experiences of women faculty when you think that oh she's a tenured professor she will be treated with respect and then to see over and over again that that's actually not necessarily true. Yeah, and
1: you know, I've, I've never really noticed them do it to a guy faculty,
0: even when they're, like, interviewing, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, there's a, a lack of awareness there, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure it can be corrected. And it, it's, it's kind of like a passive, like, it's almost like a social uh, skill that suddenly the social skills and recognition of Authority just goes out the window. Okay. <laughs> Do you talk to anyone about these things that you notice? Maybe not at the time, but afterwards? Mm, well, with my husband, who's also a physics
1: grad student, same year as me, kind of venting. He agrees. <laughs> I never, like, outright talk to the woman faculty about it, but I feel like she gets it too.
0: <laughs> and is that your advisor? Mm-hmm. Do you think she would be open to that conversation? Um, yeah, yeah. I think she'd probably acknowledge that she notices. I think uh, out of anyone, it's probably her. Are there other women in your group? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And what about them? Do you think you could talk to them about it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, just curious. Because one of the things I like to try to figure out is, you know, we witness these things, but are we talking about it? And who are we talking about it to? What about when you see your advisor or other women being talked over by these prospective postdocs and things? Is it kind of a similar set of people that you talk to or don't talk to?
1: Pretty similar set,
0: yeah. Are there other experiences in, in grad school or undergrad, et cetera, that you like to talk about? There's a recent one is, um, you know, writing
1: grants is, it's not an easy thing to do. They're dead you know, these deadlines. And so for like the Hubble, I don't know if it's okay to say that, but um, so like for Hubble proposals, you know, there's so many good proposals to use this instrument that it's like kind of a lottery which project gets picked and just recently in this last cycle i think they anonymized the main author and that actually made it so that it doubled the acceptance rate for women projects so that it's now equal to men (laughs) um i just learned about this yesterday wow isn't that amazing
0: that's amazing (laughs) it's it's really frustrating because my advisor that's amazing yeah (laughs) yeah so what does that tell you about the grant writing process? I mean,
1: my advisor is writing
0: one now. My other
1: advisor, you know, advisor who's a postdoc, she, she's writing one. You know, she's written some. We've had one rejected. You know, it's a competitive process to begin with. But then there's this extra hurdle. You know, like man, it's already rough. <laughs> you know, I'm you get, we're getting penalized. But that. yeah, that's an amazing statistic to me. And it, this this just happened in the last cycle, so I think there's some statistics that can come out of that that haven't been looked at yet. So something to keep an eye on. I had to like stare at that for a while. <laughs> that's shocking. Yeah. I mean, because it's huge. Like, if you get a Hubble proposal, that, that's a that's a big deal for your research and for your career trajectory too. You know, it's not just the right the ob- the the Science. great data that you get, which is
0: yeah, you know, obvious, but you know. What, um, how did that affect you? You you had, you said you stared at that for a while, but how did it affect you? I uh, was just like, dang, that's, that's bullshit. Because, <laughs> um, you
1: know, I'm aware of the fact that, you know, physics is really competitive now, and I think more so than before. And, you know, kind of makes it seem like uh, I don't want to kill myself writing proposals like this. I mean, it's something I kind of already, you know, decided to, like, uh, go into industry rather than academia,
0: but mm-hmm. kind of like cemented that, like, yeah, it's not really worth it. <laughs> oh, it's not really worth it. And that, when you say it's not really worth it, you mean because there, there's this added hurdle because you're a woman? Yeah, like it's not,
1: you know, you don't really have the energy to kill yourself, you know, putting together this awesome proposal where it already has low chances, but then on top of that, you know, you're even less likely I mean, hopefully they fix the process now that it's anonymized.
0: But <laughs> impediments like these are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these aren't the only competitive grants that you're, you know, writing. Right. Did you talk to anyone about the this news article that you found?
1: Uh, no, it was actually my sort of my advisor who's a postdoc. Um, she's like a co-advisor who mentioned this like on social media. <laughs> so this was just like literally this morning. Okay. I'm. Yeah, she wasn't thrilled. To- <laughs> find out because she's been writing these proposing some got, she, she's gotten some and it's really great but yeah <laughs> like she. she's aware of like how hard it is I imagine she's very frustrated
0: yeah that, it makes me angry to hear that just because it's like you know there are people out there who think that women you know given the story I just told you there are people out there who don't believe that women are discriminated against and yet we we know very clearly that this is the case yeah. <laughs> it's like these kind of examples make it really clear yeah do you have other incidents like or what was if i if you don't mind me asking uh what was the experience having a child in in grad school yeah (laughs) um like off the bat i'll say that like
1: um you don't get paid enough (laughs) Um, my husband and i are both grad students so we both have the stipend and physics is actually one of the best paid you know Mm-hmm. You get the best stipend out of the STEM field. We used to be able to save a little bit of money, but since having to pay for daycare, like um, you know, we've pretty much gone through all our savings, and yeah, definitely could not afford to not graduate <laughs> um, mm-hmm. this year. So you get a job that pays. You know, in my group, I feel really comfortable having had a kid. I don't feel like I'm I'm judged because other people in my group have kids and they understand what it's like and. You know, sometimes, um, you know, your baby's sick and has the flu or something from daycare and you can't take them to daycare. So you just have to stay home. That's just what it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having uh, people in your group who understand that is, like, crucial. Because, like, there are other groups in the physics department where, like, you know, you don't get time off. But when you have a kid, you're just forced to sometimes. Yeah, it's hard to stay late because you have to go pick them up from daycare. Daycare closes. (laughs) Um, And you can, you can work after you put them to sleep, but then you're just working nonstop. It's exhausting. You know, you see a lot of articles about work-life balance. And honestly, I think that's just a load of crap. (laughs) It's just, you know, what's really changed since back in the day when physicists were like these gentlemen scientists and they'd have wives doing all the chores and uh, taking care of their home life and their kids. Okay, well now we have men and women working, maybe a couple who's, both in physics, but you've got chores to do too. And kids, it's like nothing in academia has changed to accommodate for how the workload has changed for men and women, but especially for women. So if anything, I think it's gotten harder because it's become more competitive. I feel like there's just more, yeah, more people going to science, which is great, but I don't think we're making that (laughs) at all easy, especially for people who want kids. And so a lot of people who do have kids, I feel like you know, they either wait until they're tenured, so they're in their thirties. Um, I do see some people with post postdocs that have kids, but you know, it's just really hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's really hard. Um, and I think, I think I remember reading statistics that a lot of women do leave uh, academia because they want to start families. And if it's only really manageable for people who either wait or don't want kids, then you're off the bat, you're limiting academia to um, a small, I think, um, percentage of women. Because, like, most people want to have families, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. It's not crazy to want to have kids
0: before you're 35. (laughs) Do you see, this might be an obvious question, but do you think men are limited in the same way? Because I I know of a lot of professors who have children who are men. Mm -hmm. I know of some statistics, and I don't know if it's specific to
1: academia or just jobs, but, like, men who have kids tend to get more prestige or paid more versus women who have kids and careers you know take a pay cut things like that i'm aware of faculty who are married in the physics department and have kids and just anecdotally i know that (laughs) the woman does more of the legwork a lot more um in one of the cases my husband and i were pretty pull 50 50 but i might be tempted to say that's more of a unique thing (laughs) just based on personal anecdotes
0: yeah i think i've heard that too (laughs) (laughs) You said the work-life balance is kind of bullshit. What were you, what do you mean by that?
1: That, you know, it's attainable. <laughs>
0: okay. that it like, for
1: most people, I don't think, like, you have to figure out the work-life balance and how to do it and make it work. Like, I don't know. I think, I think the workload is just too much. It's not like you have to find the magic formula of, you do have to be more organized, I think, when you have a kid and you do have to manage your time way better to be able to get the same type of things done, but. I don't think that there's like some secret to success in managing work like that. And it's just, it's just, I think it's honestly just too much Mm. to expect um, to handle like, you know, full career and family. It's just in this economic (laughs) situation, I feel like it's it's like, I don't, I I wish people would stop pretending that's super attainable because I don't think it is.
0: Apart from sort of being aggravating and that you don't think it's possible but you see people advocating for it. What is the effect on you when you see that you feel like you're working basically all day, either as part of your career or taking care of your child? Uh, What is the effect on you that you hear this idea of work-life balance being spread? Yeah, well, I mean, you definitely see people who, you know, have
1: careers and women who have in physics have careers and have kids, but you know, from talking to them, like it's a, it's a real struggle and like all the more respect to them <laughs> and all that. Um, when I see these articles about work-life balance and like, you know, maybe people are trying to be sincere and like offer some help and advice on how to achieve it and that. But I think it just really misses the point And really, it's like trying to put a bandaid on a, a gushing wound, you know, like it's not really going to solve the problem. It kind of It's kind of a individualistic approach. Like you have to make it find the right balance for you to achieve it,
0: whereas I think it's more like systemically it's really not feasible. What systemic changes would you see be made in order to make make it feasible? Or is it something that you think is even a valid goal?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a hard question. I have thought about it quite a lot. The most obvious thing that has come to my mind in regards to that is kind of the culture, which you know you how do you systemically change a culture but you know coming in as a grad student you'd see these like guys be like oh i love physics it's my only hobby i'm not gonna do other stuff like i don't have a you know like this machoism of like you don't really love physics unless it's the only thing you do like you have hobbies outside of physics you have a family like you know i do physics non-stop in my sleep and in my free time and that's all i talk about and i mean what it's great that you love something you know but You can be really good. You can be a great physicist or astronomer or anything and still have other things going on. And, you know, families, it's, you know, I think we need to accept that it's part of life, that people have a social life and families. And, you know, at least among grad students in physics, like the mental health problems, they're off the the chart 40%. Something like have like depression or anxiety related problems. And I definitely think there's like a culture of overwork. So maybe that's seen as... Um, a virtue to be, like, up all night, you know, mm-hmm. working constantly, and you're, you know, on your project or whatever. But yeah, systemic fix, like, I don't know, like I said, like, uh, you know, what's really changed since the time of, like, gentleman scientists <laughs> who had housewives and, ser- you don't know, I don't see how anything's fundamentally changed since then to make uh, academia more accommodating to other people. You know, I think academia kind of as an institution um is there to kind of propagate status quo of how things go honestly don't think we can like really fundamentally change how it works in isolation to like society at large know <laughs> that sounds like really mm-hmm. big and lofty but I mean I'm sure there's some like reforms like you know anonymizing the proposals that are great and they can mitigate some of the more um, obvious excesses and problems but I think fundamentally, yeah, this, like, work-life balance thing I don't think really can be fixed unless we, like, really change a lot about how academia works. If one thing, I just wish people would stop, like, acting like it's super feasible to have, like, a satisfying, great family uh, family home life and dinner's always ready and the apartment's clean and <laughs> and your pro- your paper was just published and
0: everything's, you know... <laughs> It just kind of pisses me off. <laughs>
1: it's just not
0: realistic. Yeah. Especially since you're experiencing your savings disappearing. Right. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about, you said you've basically decided to go into industry in part because you have a child, or mostly because you have a child. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about why Why that is? Yeah.
1: So, partially from a financial standpoint. I mean, as a postdoc, you would, you would get a pretty big pay increase, but... Really, I I don't want to move her around. No, we don't want to move her around from like place to place, house to house, daycare to daycare, away from family networks, from friend networks. I mean, you can't really put a, a monetary value on what it means to have someone be able to like, oh, my God, you know, my husband's getting his appendix taken out. I need someone to help me watch mm-hmm. my daughter so I can take him. To, like that literally happens, you know, so. Did it happen to you yeah he <laughs> oh, no. had to go and I was just with him and had to take three buses to the hospital with her in my arms and <laughs> it's oh like, my god you know stuff like like emergencies happen you know life happens and I don't want to just move around and be where I don't have anyone to fall back on um and especially child care costs yeah they're crazy and they're wild um I mean they're thousand over a thousand dollars a month for daycare Wow, but you know big cities where the where universities are tend to be, you know, that you'd want to postdoc at. It's I, f- I think it's even worse in some cases. I have some friends who also left industry and they're in Seattle and they say like, you know, um, we manage on what we make, but yeah, if we had a kid, we would not be able to afford our apartment. So yeah, the the, the moving around and the uncertainty, right? Because even if you postdoc maybe once, maybe twice, and then you try, you know, you might not even end up being professor. You know, you still have to go through tenure. So. Even if you decide to just go for it, you know, it's still just so much uncertainty that just even male postdocs who don't have families, you know, they also don't like it. You know, they complain about that. So in and of itself, there's just a lot of uncertainty. And one thing that I've noticed actually is like of the couples that I know who are both physics grad students, anecdotally, so like both that I know, it's the men who are deciding the postdoc and the women going into industry. Because, you know, there's a two body problem, like finding two postdocs at the same place, you know, that's really rough. But yeah, I was thinking about that earlier today and I think that's interesting how when there's a couple and one of them wants to stay in physics, it seems like it's the guy. Because <laughs> mm. maybe if you're in industry and you want to have kids, then, you know, it's easier to take a break from a job versus like, you know, people have kids in grad school and as postdocs, they don't stop working. You don't take a year off a of postdoc and come back. Like, I think that's, that's not, I've never heard of that happening. I've never heard of that. No, I think you're just kind of forced... To have your kid and be a postdoc, <laughs> have your kid and be a grad student—you just add it on your plate, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, versus, yeah. like, if you're at a company, whatever, you can—you get some maternity leave, leave. Hopefully, you know, the U.S. doesn't mandate any, but you know, maybe work for a nice company—they give you some time off, or you just take a year off the labor force. You'll get penalized, I'm sure. You there's some like salary differences that'll occur, but you can come back, and it's not a big deal. Versus, I don't think you can really like take a break from a postdoc for a year. And come back and go back to being tenure track at least if it's possible i've not heard of anyone doing that uh did you take a break i had two months off including like christmas break but that was just from the the goodness of my advisor <laughs> who is an it was a woman yes and also had a child. who also had a child yes but i think we got we get two weeks our university maybe because we're government employees so i i think there were two weeks that i could take but which, you know, if you have a C-section, you're like kind of told to have bed rest for six weeks, which I had a C-section. I had to have a C-section, well, didn't plan mm-hmm. it, but that's the way it happened. Mm-hmm. So, so you're enough.
0: you're told to have six weeks off. By the do- doctor, right? By the doctor, but the university only technically gives you two. Right. And if you have a nice advisor, mm-hmm. then maybe you get a longer break. Yeah. <laughs> If you plan having your child over winter break. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Like, At those two
1: weeks. <laughs> um, wow, okay. God, that's really frustrating. Yeah. It, it, so I am I feel like I'm incredibly lucky to be in the group that I am and in the part of the department that I am. But, you know, it's It really, like, if you want to be a grad student or go to be in academia and have a kid, like, it really depends on who your advisor is. That's just the truth. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think a lot of advisors – they might not say that they don't want that to happen, but I, don't, I really don't think,
0: personally, that they'd be thrilled. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Do you have other incidents you want to talk about like yeah. conferences? or Pretty okay experiences at like conferences. Um, May I ask, how do you feel about asking questions during conferences or, or networking at conferences?
1: I'm a pretty kind of
0: shy and timid person.
1: Generally, I think I've kind of opened up more since. Um, I feel like it's pretty okay for me now. It definitely took me a while. <laughs> and, um, you know, networking is really big, actually. It, coming into grad school, didn't, I didn't think that that would be the case. But it's actually um, very important to be able to just network, be sociable, talk, really get into these groups of people talking. And <laughs> it's it's really important. So like, I kind of had to force myself to do that, which I think was good. But, yeah, coming in, I didn't realize the scope of it. <laughs> Do you feel like you've improved in in that respect? I think so, yeah. And um, part of it is from watching my advisor
0: do it. (laughs) Um, Do you have any tips?
1: I guess one thing is, like, people or other researchers and grad students are probably a lot more similar to you than you think. (laughs) Um, Struggling with, like, research project, the struggle is real. (laughs) It's this, you know, don't think you're as weird (laughs) Um, as you feel, maybe.
0: Just... uh, (laughs) Be okay opening up a little bit about what it's really like. So, we can begin to wrap up a little bit. I like to ask people if they feel like they belong in the community, and that kind of comes, kind of segues nicely, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's two parts to that question. One is, do you feel like you identify as a physicist? And then, do you feel that like people in the community recognize you as being a physicist? In the community, being the physics community. It can actually be either. A lot of people take that to mean like the broad public. Mm hmm. And but I also do mean the professional community physicists.
1: Yeah. So I know when you get your PhD, you know you're a doctor now, and some people use that as, okay, I've gotten a PhD, I'm a physicist. And I know there's a difference between men and women. Men will say they're physicists, (laughs) and women won't. And I'm wait, what what do you mean by that? Like women who've gotten degrees, if they're not practicing, like professors, researchers. Like, they won't say they're physicists as much as men who've gotten degrees who are not practicing will say they are. <laughs> is this the research? Is, is, has this been
0: researched, or is this anecdotal? Yeah, I think that's a statistic. Okay,
1: interesting. I would say that, uh, personally, I would um, say that you're a physicist if you're a practicing physicist, so after graduating. So I guess I wouldn't really consider myself a physicist um, unless I was going towards being a research professor or working mm. at a
0: national lab um, doing physics research. Do you feel that you have a physicist worldview? What what does that mean exactly? Meaning, do you feel like you see the world as a physicist? Hmm. I feel like I kind of do a little bit now, having Mm -hmm. gone through grad school. Just
1: I'm aware of the methods of the different types of analyses. And when I look at the world and see problems, I kind of have that toolbox to approach problems in that way. So,
0: yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Okay. But you distinguish between being a physicist means whether or not you're doing physics.
1: Yeah, I guess for me, personally, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't introduce myself as a physicist, in <laughs> that, I don't think. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Do I feel like I belong? I don't feel particularly excluded. I definitely feel a lot of imposter syndrome when things don't go well. And, you know, things go well, they don't go well. I think that's pretty normal. But I get these, like, you know, intense bursts of self-doubt and imposter syndrome you know my husband's in the same position trying to graduate and finishing a paper and thesis and all that and
0: we kind of talked about it. like he doesn't feel that at all how does it make you feel that he doesn't feel that same dramatic sense of imposter syndrome or have you talked to anyone else about that i haven't explicitly talked
1: about it but there are other women in my group who are it seems very, you know, sort of self-doubting and timid compared to like, you know, the average physicist, I would say, just from my impression. Um, yeah, I feel like you know, we doubt ourselves
0: a little bit more. <laughs> Less confident, have more of these bouts of imposter syndrome. When you say you have a bout of imposter syndrome, what does that what does that mean? Does that change how you operate or does it just change how you feel? What what kind of um, well, for me, I'm like in a particularly stressful situation because I'm
1: trying to graduate and finish things up and find a job and so like you know my stress levels are pretty high so when I say when I said like I had a bout of imposter syndrome I was like literally broke down and cried (laughs) and um it's like I can't do it I can't do it oh you know I got myself into this mess and I can't get out now (laughs) yeah it's kind of like a panic attack so but I think this is kind of an extreme case of trying to graduate and as far as I can tell from like social media and talking to other people, it's not it's not unusual that you know you have these like really stressful experiences trying to graduate or finish something. So before then, more typically, I would just be like, oh, uh, you know, I can't just like sit down and write out all the right answers all of a sudden, um, you know, out of my head. It must mean that I'm not uh, I'm not good enough, you know. I shouldn't really be here. Look at all these other people; they have great results, but you know, they also struggle to like learn and produce those results. But yeah, I guess you like apply a different standard to yourself because maybe it looks easy from the outside. I think men in the field have a a lot easier time projecting confidence and, you know, you always see people be confident, present results and all these things. And yeah, when you struggle, I don't know, I guess I feel like I tend to internalize that more (laughs) than maybe the
0: men do, maybe more than we should. You said something interesting that in terms of belonging, you don't feel like you're excluded which sort of implies that you don't necessarily feel like you're actively included. Mm. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I
1: guess I don't feel like I'm being like actively pushed out by anyone. <laughs> but I feel like the circumstances and this having a family and this like sort of these systemic problems are making it so that I I don't feel like I see my future in there. It doesn't make sense to me to pursue that path and be a part of it because of these like wider systemic things and you know allocation of time and publisher or perish but my kid's sick but then <laughs> this whole like work-life balance thing so yeah like I don't no one's telling me like get out <laughs> right but in a way it's not welcoming because of the difficulties how does it make you feel just curious a little bit bitter <laughs> sometimes <laughs> because I really did love science coming in it was super idealistic you know I didn't know exactly what it would be like. I think it's still pretty cool, but yeah, it's not as accessible. Just from you know, it's not as realistic <laughs> given all the constraints and difficulties. So yeah, sometimes I get a little bitter. <laughs> um, I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll go in industry, make a lot of money, and read up on science on my own time and study my own stuff and. Um, catch up on my own interests and my free time which I will have as
0: a person working in industry and working nine to five and so yeah it's it's kind of sad to hear that the main factor that's determining your career doesn't have any I any, think anything to do with your ability to the quality of your work right you you know what that looks like and you know that it's not feasible for you and your husband yeah or at least you know, it's, we're not willing to sacrifice so many other things for it. Right, yeah. And I also like to ask uh, in your opinion, what makes a great scientist? Someone who's really able to think about things
1: sort of a big picture, um, like a sort of step back and take it all in, rather than like super hyper focused. But I feel like definitely science and academia is going away from that. You know, like the Higgs of the Higgs boson said that if he were doing, if he were trying to do this research now that, you know, the research that he did that to come up with the Higgs, um, he would not be able to do it because there are so many deadlines for publishing. You don't get this sort of like, I can just think about things. You know, you have to accelerate it push for results. Whereas, yeah, I think what drew me to science was you know the creativity of it being allowed to let your mind sort of wander about these questions and i think that's harder to do nowadays but the scientists who i most admire people who sort of are experts in a lot of different types of things and try to
0: yeah do this like big picture work may i ask what who are the scientists that you admire yeah honestly my advisor (laughs) who
1: you know, it starts out in theory and then ends up doing all this data stuff too, just because, you know, the field needs it. And it's like, well, you know, theory's kind of stuck until we figure this out. So I guess I'm going to just do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> and um, um, like the chair of my department uh, also is a very like sort of interdisciplinary.
0: And yeah, definitely they're top of my list. <laughs> and then kind of similarly, but what do you think a healthy physics culture would look like yeah i think
1: a healthy culture would be sort of like everyone kind of acknowledges that we're whole people (laughs) with other interests and responsibility you know moving away from this like you're only really a physicist if you if you're only doing physics you know uh type of mentality i feel like socializing with people outside of physics was really healthy my undergraduate department had a lot of well not a lot but a weekly one-hour social where you know, professors and um postdocs and grad students undergrads could all mingle and have tea and things like that I think that's really important actually in coming to a larger university and grad, in grad uh, and grad school where that didn't happen it felt kind of isolating mm. so I think having just um healthier social interactions <laughs> actually
0: That'd be good. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Can you talk more about what this kind of? It sounds like it was people from all departments that would participate in these um, things.
1: No, it was just physics, but it was okay. all people in physics, like even you know our secretary, <laughs> uh-huh. and um, because it was a small department, so it wasn't hard to get everyone in a room, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, and we'd know like the professor's spouses, and you know their kids would come to parties. So I think, I think, yeah, I think social, healthier social, generally speaking, healthier social interactions would help. And yeah, it's sort of viewing people as like adults, you know, you're not just, there's a difference from when you're an undergrad and grad, there's a bit of a difference, right? Like you can have a family or you can have these other responsibilities and that doesn't make you less of a physicist, right? Yeah. (laughs) I guess those would be my main two.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. All right, also, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we uh, wrap up? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, It's great talking to you. I think physics and math
1: is really cool. I don't think it's... I think there are a lot of people fighting really hard to make improvements and in terms of the experiences of women and minorities. I think that's great. But I kind of think as a whole it's not going in a great direction. And I'm hoping for some more, like
0: fundamental changes (laughs) in my lifetime what do you mean as a whole it's not going in a great direction
1: you know like a whole it's getting sort of more competitive you know it's getting harder pay's not great benefits aren't really there maybe that's just it's my my general impression of society (laughs) (laughs) um making me say that (laughs) but yeah I feel like we need some like really more fundamental changes in academia. And society, but in academia and, you know, I hope we can see something like that in my lifetime. And, you know, maybe I can help somehow outside of academia, but yeah. Uh, I've, you know, I really appreciate you doing these podcasts and talking to people and um, bringing, you
0: know, awareness to these issues. Oh, yeah. Well, this is definitely more for me. (laughs) (laughs) This is partially my own frustration with the lack of understanding from people who fit the bill in terms of the stereotypical physicist and also I love hearing people's experiences <laughs> <laughs> so on that note thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking about this um, thank you it's great yeah. to be here <laughs> Great. thank you for listening if you'd like to reach out about the project please send an email to voicesandphysicspodcast at gmail.com